In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. And Jesus says to us today, go and do likewise. But what does that mean? Or how is this done? It's good for us to understand the very familiar parable by understanding the context in which the parable is given. Jesus had been traveling with his disciples. And if we look earlier into the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus talking about, woe to unrepentant cities. May you be cursed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Or Jesus goes on and he tells his disciples, I'm sending you out, 72 of you, I'm sending you out to go and to be witnesses for me. And the disciples go out and they teach and they find out that they have the power over evil spirits and they come back to Jesus rejoicing in all of the great things that they've seen. And Jesus says to those disciples, don't be so thrilled that spirits listen to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to talk about his relationship with his father and how important that is for he and the father are one. And if you want to know who the father is, you need to know Jesus. All of this is happening and listening is this lawyer this Jewish lawyer. And he comes up to Jesus, and it's as it, the text says, he wants to put Jesus to the test. He isn't there asking a genuine question. He's there trying to point a finger at Jesus or trying to find a way to bring accusations against Jesus. He tries to put Jesus to the test. And so he says to Jesus, so what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus looks at this Jewish lawyer and he says, well, what do the scriptures say? Now this is a man of the law. So he knows the law and he knows those words that we heard in Leviticus in that first reading today. And did you notice in that first reading in Leviticus, it sounds a little bit like the Ten Commandments and the way the Ten Commandments are, are given there in Exodus to Moses. But notice in this particular version, as, as God is speaking to Moses, that almost all of the accusations, almost all the warnings, almost all the instructions have to do with how we relate to our neighbor. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the lawyer repeats that to Jesus. The law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Now, this lawyer thinks he's a pretty good guy. After all, he knows the law, and he thinks he keeps the law pretty well, as good as anybody. And so the text says, and so to justify himself, to justify himself, he asked Jesus the big question. So who's my neighbor? You know, Jesus often does the unexpected, does the unexpected to the unexpected. Jesus often challenges people in their thinking. Jesus often challenges their comfort zone, as it were. And so Jesus tells this parable. And the parable is one that we hear over and over again. And as I said at the beginning of the service, it's oftentimes quoted uh, in secular literature about being a good Samaritan. Uh, it's a story that is, that is rather well known. But remember the story again. A man's going down the road. And he falls among robbers. And he's beaten. And he's left alongside the road for dead. Along comes a priest. Yay! Here comes a priest. He's going to do something. No, he passes by on the other side. So to the Levite, the religious man comes, by, comes and passes by on the other side. But then comes the Samaritan who gets down, bandages the wounds, anoints the wounds with oil, puts him on his, on his donkey, and takes him to the inn. Wow. Now the priest and the Levite probably justified their actions. It wasn't that they were scoffing necessarily at this man, but they probably justified their actions. They were in a hurry. They needed to get someplace. Or maybe the guy's already dead. And the law forbid a priest from touching a dead body, so he was just protecting himself. Just in case the guy's already dead. So too with a Levite. Oh, there's probably nothing I can do. We don't know exactly what they thought, but we, they probably thought not much different than we think sometimes, and so they passed by. But along comes the, the Samaritan. But, but notice, the Samaritan doesn't just bandage the wounds. He takes the man to an inn, cares for the man overnight, and then gives to the innkeeper two denarii. Now, two denarii in that day were like three weeks at the Hilton. I mean, it was not a small amount. It was three weeks lodging. And he said, take care of him. And if there's any more expense, when I get back, when I travel back through here, I'll settle the account. He goes over and above what anyone would ever think. And so then Jesus puts the question to the lawyer, Who's the, who is the neighbor? And the lawyer obviously says, well, the guy who showed 
mercy for the man who was injured. And that's when Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? It's not just the person living next door or across the street. It's not just who we expect, according to the story of Jesus. You see, it's it's easy to love those who are lovable. It's easy to love those that we are friends with. It's easy to love those who are kind to us. But Jesus pushes it a little farther. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? What about, the, what about the stranger along your road? What about the homeless person standing on the street corner? What about the difficult person at work? What about the difficult student in your classroom? What about the immigrant? who is looking for a new life or for a job. Who is our neighbor? We live in a culture and a climate that is very quick to judge. We live in a culture and a climate that is very quick to pass judgment. You know, it just comes naturally in many ways. We judge people according to their political positions. We judge people according to their sources of news. We judge people according to their country of origin. We judge people according to their economics. We judge people according to where they live, what they look like, what school they attend. It just comes naturally. Not rightly, but naturally. I happened to be in the O'Hare Airport this week. And walking down the concourse of the airport, in any airport these days, but walking down the concourse in O'Hare, I saw all kinds of people, all ages, all styles of dress, all nationalities, And it's amazing as we walk and are confronted by people who are necessarily different from us, we have thoughts. Wonder what that person does. Wonder who that person is. Wonder why they're dressed that way. Our culture encourages us to judge others. Now, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we're not told whether the injured man is a Jew or a Gentile. We're not told his nationality or his age. We're not told anything about him. Because Jesus wants us to see the injured man along the road, it could be anybody. It could be anybody in our relationship, in our experience, in our life. But the amazing part of the story 
for this Jewish lawyer and audience that's listening is the man who had love for the neighbor was a Samaritan, a no good in the eyes of the Jew, a no good in the eyes of the lawyer, for the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and they condemned the Samaritans. But the man in the story was the least likely of them all. So as I worked on the, the, the sermon this week, and I, th I thought, okay, so how do we, how do we seek to love our neighbor in our lives today, in our culture today, in the world in which we live? So I'm not really very computer literate, but I have learned how to Google. And so I Googled the Good Samaritan. And I was amazed how many references there were to the story. And in Google was the question. So how can we be a Good Samaritan to our neighbor? And they gave, Google gave me five responses very practical advice. The first one was, be a noticer. Have eyes open and minds open and minds clear to see the hurts around us, to see the people around us who are struggling, to see those around us who are challenged, to have eyes open, be noticers. Second one was, Pray. Pray for an opportunity to be a good Samaritan. Pray for an opportunity to see somebody in your life who is in need of a little loving, a little attention, a little care. Thirdly, don't hesitate. Don't think of all the reasons why you can't help. Don't think of all the excuses. Don't think of all the things on your agenda that need to be done. Don't, re don't think about how much time this is going to take. Don't hesitate when you see those who are hurting around us. Pastor Rick Warren down at Saddleback says this, Love doesn't just say, I'm sorry for this guy. Isn't it a shame? Isn't that too bad? Love seizes the moment. Don't hesitate. Don't make excuses. And then with reflection and gratitude, thank God for opportunities to love. Thank God for those who need our care. For that's what God gives us the opportunity to do. To live lives of generosity. Willingness to give. Not just money, but time and energy for those around us. The book of James says this. What good is it if my brother's what good is it, my brothers, 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it has not love, is dead. The power of the story, the power of the story of the Good Samaritan is to remember that we're the ones lying beaten on the road. We're the ones struggling, challenged, suffering. And God in Christ sends our rescuer. God in Christ rescues us from the pain and struggles of our life that we might experience the joy of God's love and the promises of ours. Don't rejoice that spirits listen to you, Jesus says, but rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. God so loves us that he sends his rescuer in Jesus Christ. And God gives us the opportunities, the privileges, the joy to touch the lives of those around us who are hurting. So who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? It's the one who's hurting and needs to be loved. God, give us love for those who are hurting. In the name of Jesus, amen.